So this request for the Dhamma that you just chanted is a chant that comes from the Brahma Sahampati, was a great Brahma who in the past was a Brahmin human, a friend of the Bodhisattva who became our Buddha. And now he's uh, Anagami, Brahma God, non-returner, who lives in the highest realm of the pure abodes, which are the Brahma realms of the Anagamis, those who have realized the third stage of awakening, where they practice and realize arahantship. So when he was born as a human, the Buddha was the son of a wealthy family and was a Brahmin youth as well. And in that life, the Bodhisattva was not interested in the Buddha Sasana, the Buddhist dispensation, which is normal for that to happen. And the friend, the future Brahma Sambhati, he wanted to be a good friend to the Bodhisattva. And so he tried to convince the Bodhisattva to go see the Buddha. But no matter what he would say, the Bodhisattva would not go see the Buddha. And so eventually he did something very shocking and extreme behavior. He grabbed the Bodhisattva by the top knot on his head, which is the highest point of the body considered very sacred. So he grabbed that and the Bodhisattva thought to himself, my friend is really behaving quite extremely. This must be something very important. So he went to follow his friend to go see the Buddha, to pay respects to the Buddha of that era and listen to the Dhamma. And faith arose in his heart. This was his past parami, past spiritual virtues he had built, which he had cultivated to a great deal already. And he helped his friend as well, because his friend in that life, the future Brahma Sambhati, couldn't ordain. He had to care for his mother and father who were blind. So the Bodhisattva ordained as a monk in that Buddhist dispensation. So this is a story, a bit of the history behind this. We see that when the Buddha awakened, he awakened to a Dhamma that's very subtle the Dhamma of dependent origination, that whatever Dhammas arise based on, they arise based on a cause, and based on this cause, there's that result. Based on uh, that result, there's this effect. So everything arises based on causes and conditions. That ignorance leads to condition formations, which leads to consciousness, materiality, mentality, to feeling tone, to craving, to attachment, to birth and becoming, to death and degradation. All these phenomena arise according to causes and conditions. And if this cause does not arise, then the result does not arise. And it's because we don't understand this that there's the sense of self. And the Buddha saw that this Dhamma was so subtle, so refined, that the Buddha thought to 
establish equanimity and not bother teaching. But then the Brahma god Sambhati came and asked the Buddha to teach. And so the Buddha used his psychic powers to look over the world and see that the group of five ascetics that he had formerly practiced with, their defilements were only a little, they were capable of seeing the Dhamma. And so the Buddha went to Varanasi to teach the group of five ascetics. Because the subtle Dhamma, it's the essence of the Buddha's teachings, that materiality and mentality, all rupa and nama, is not self. This is found in the suttas of the Theravada tradition and Mahayana tradition, that it's all empty, all things are empty. That this material form that we see as self, that it's not self, it arises merely based on causes that gather together. And similarly with sound, taste, touch, and so on, they all arise based on causes. So we see in truth that there's nothing really there. It's all empty. Whether it's a tree, rivers, mountains, every coarse and subtle feeling in the mind, all things, all consciousness, all speech, all sound arises and ceases. All material, materiality and mentality have this nature. But the mind doesn't know this. The mind clings to all these things as self. So we can call this stealing nature to be our own, stealing nature to take as a self. And so this is the problem arises based on ignorance that we like some things, we dislike other things, we dislike some material form, and that's the cause for a craving to arise. So there's ignorance, that's the cause for suffering, for dukkha to arise. So we have to practice and train. We sit in meditation like we are now, we cultivate mindfulness, establish sila, virtue, as our foundation. And so these five precepts we understand already, and we should practice them well, practice them completely. The benefit of observing virtue is happiness, it's a happy destination, it gives rise to coolness in the heart and mind. So if we kill humans or steal, then we go to sit and meditate afterwards, it'll be difficult to meditate. The mind will be wavering, won't be stable. So this quality of virtue is important. It's able to bring the mind to peace and collectedness. So we practice and train, we sit meditation like we are. And one day we're able to realize stillness, able to realize samadhi. And the body feels very light the hands and feet disappear. In the beginning, we train, we have mindfulness. And then we see that when the feet and hands disappear, that is just a feeling. The nerves that feel are separated out from the mind that's in samadhi, the mind gathers together. And when this happens, we feel that there's no body there. The mind is still and peaceful. 
we don't experience sound because the mind is so still. Then the thought or knowing might arise, where are we sitting? The perception has been cut off from the mind because the mind is still in samadhi. Then the feeling of the body comes back and we, we know that we're sitting in meditation there. So this is the mind still peaceful and collected that's suitable to do the work of wisdom. Because in truth, we've been lost in the sense of self and me and mine. The Buddha taught very directly that it's not me, not mine, that all things are empty. Because we think that everything is self, everything is me and mine. This is the cause for suffering to arise. Even if in the world we have praise, status, we have gain, we have pleasures, all the things that people strive for and want in their lives, still they're suffering in the heart. Even if we have everything on the outer level, all the worldly dhammas, gain, praise, pleasure and status, and those things degrade and it's difficult for us because it's their nature to come and go. For instance, having bodily health, having the body is a type of wealth. And it, when it's healthy and strong, but then it changes, the mind suffers. We say that suffering is waiting for us in the future. For instance, as children, children don't know about being sore and aching. They're able to climb stairs, climb up and down a mountain. And children don't understand that what it's like to be old, what it's like to have uh, aching knees or aching back or sore body. The child might think that it's really great, it's really excellent, think it's better than other people they don't know that one day their body will degrade and be the same, be the same way. So this is a conditioned phenomena. When we're deluded, we think that we're better than them, or um, better than someone else. So this is something that everyone must contemplate, contemplate with a mind that's peaceful, to give rise to wisdom to separate out from the five aggregates of body and mind, to see all body and mind, materiality and mentality as empty. When the wisdom is like this, the samadhi is firmly established. There's virtue present, there's effort. And it's, we have right effort. Because right effort in terms of the Dhamma, it's part of the 37 wings to awakening, 37 dhammas, right efforts in the Noble Eightfold Path. And we can separate it out into four right efforts, which is to abandon that which is unwholesome that's already arisen, to avoid unwholesome states from arising, to cultivate the good and the good that's present to bring about its increase and in fulfillment. So we have mindfulness, we train in mindfulness. If we have an unwholesome state of mind arise, then this is natural and normal. Understand that it's not self. 
whatever bad or strange thought we might have, see it as not self. When we think in this way, we're able to let go, able to abandon these unwholesome states, which is part of right effort. So when these states or thoughts arise, just abandon them straight away. Don't proliferate about them. This is effort. This is right effort. So no, un no unwholesomeness when it arises and avoid having it arise in the first place. And if it does arise, then abandon it. When we do this, we're walking the Noble, noble Eightfold Path. And this is something subtle to separate things out like this. These four right efforts to abandon the defilements. So in terms of right effort, we need to have well-established mindfulness. On this retreat together, practicing Dhamma for nine days together, we're able to cultivate mindfulness to a good degree. We speak little, sleep little, and practice being quiet, practice not speaking. There's 80 retreatants here, but we're still able to live quietly together, almost as if we're alone. When we eat together, we don't speak. We establish our mindfulness well with eating, with chewing, with drinking, with swallowing. And when we're eating, we can meditate Bhutto, Dhammo, Sango, or just Bhutto, Bhutto. We don't need to hurry. We eat with mindfulness. We practice not speaking or speaking little. And we're able to help each other out in this way. So when we, when we don't speak or speak little, mindfulness can be continuous. Then we go back to the formal meditation, continue practicing like that. Maybe we're not able to do this 100%, but even 50% is good in our daily life. And so in our daily life, we care for our livelihood. We also contemplate that we have to work to seek out the four requisites, clothing, shelter, food, and medicine for the sake of our physical bodies, this body which is a heap of suffering. We seek out these requisites in order to reduce the pain and suffering, in order to have time to practice the Dhamma. So we have to have effort first. We see that this body is of the nature to degrade and break apart. The body will break apart, will degrade for certain. So this degradation we contemplate, we make effort to do goodness and merit. Because we're ones who have merit already, so therefore we should do merit, have effort in that, to make that automatic, the making of merit as an automatic habit. So we do this and we practice to see dukkha clearly, see suffering, to see the Four Noble Truths of suffering, its cause, freedom from suffering and the path to that freedom. We see this quality of dukkha, it's feeling ill at ease in the body and mind, separating from the loved, not getting what we want and getting what we don't want. This is the Noble Truth of dukkha this truth that is 
ennobling, high and supreme. So we have the sense of self and therefore we have suffering. So contemplate to see the Dhamma, to see conditioned phenomena clearly. Because if we don't have ignorance, craving and attachment, then we don't suffer. The suffering arises, but there's no one there who suffers. There's no self there who suffers. It only just arises based on causes. When the cause ceases, suffering ceases. But these causes for suffering arise very often because the sense of self arises very often. And so we feel like suffering is arising all the time. So the Buddha taught that we have to practice. We have to walk this path of virtue, collectedness and wisdom, sila samadhi panya, in order to abandon the sense of self bit by bit. In this way, suffering gradually reduced. We see that we have suffering because of clinging. And this clinging goes on continuously, having or wanting more, having clinging. We suffer because of that. And then we suffer and then when we want more, we cling more. And so the cycle of wanting, craving and suffering just goes on and on without ceasing. In order to break through this cycle, to cut it off, we cut it off with virtue, collectedness and wisdom. So we consider ourselves to be ones of great good fortune. We practice and we're able to raise our minds up according to our ability, according to different levels. We start out by being a human with virtue. Because before coming to practice, we were humans without virtue. But now we cultivate virtue. We can sit in meditation and we can do merit and goodness. And the mind feels very joyful, joyful and bright. The mind feels pure. We don't want the belongings of others. We don't steal. We practice giving. We practice virtue to its fulfillment. Practice all the precepts because this virtue is something that we're able to do. And so we walk this path to abandon the defilements, to bring the mind to emptiness, to see clearly. And we see the great value of a mind that's empty and pure, that has the wisdom to abandon defilement, to bring the mind to emptiness, to see not self. And that mind that's empty and pure is also not self. Because if the mind clings to that purity, then that's merely a subtle form of ignorance, craving and attachment arising once again. Because the Lord Buddha taught that the Tathagata has knowing, but doesn't cling to that knowing. The knowing is just the knowing. In the beginning, we cling we practice to cultivate samadhi, give rise to wisdom. And then the paths and fruits of the practice arise. And in the end, we don't have anything. There's nothing left. It's all empty. Materiality is empty. There's no materiality. And emptiness is in materiality. 
because we see that in truth there's no material form, it's all empty. We see that everything that we see as self, it all arises from the mind. And if the samadhi is able to be deep and subtle, then the mind can realize a great depth of emptiness. When we see the world with samadhi, with a deep samadhi, we see all things as if they are shadows, as an illusion, like a x-ray vision. We see that all the things that the mind has been stuck in aren't really there. This is seeing with samadhi. And if we have wisdom, then we see it all as empty in truth. This is the mind that's going above and beyond the world. This is seeing Nibbana. <clears throat> this is the mind that's higher, higher than samadhi. And we're able to lift the mind up higher in order to realize freedom. This is the way that the Buddha taught these four noble truths the contain the path, the path to Nibbana, the Noble Eightfold Path. We can expand it out and regard it as the 37 wings to awakening. This is using wisdom to separate out these various factors. But in terms of our practice, we don't need to study these a lot. We sit, we make our minds peaceful in samadhi. We have restraint with regard to our behavior of body and speech. We seek to abandon that which is unwholesome, to cultivate the wholesome, to do this a lot, to do merit to its completion and fullness, to practice giving virtue and meditation, to practice merit. Because in the Buddhasthasana, to bring the mind to purity, we need vipassana, clear seeing, to bring the mind to purity with samadhi. And when it's, the mind is in samadhi, the kilesas are far away. But when that samadhi degrades and goes away, then the kilesas arise again. We can compare it to a rock on top of grass. The roots are still there. So when the rock is removed, the grass grows again. So therefore we practice and train in Dhamma. We set our hearts on this practice. And when we do this, when we are firm in our intent, we continue practicing, we will meet with success for sure. It's not beyond our ability. It's like in the ground, there's water in the ground. And if we keep digging, then we'll have to meet with that water. The depth to which we must dig may vary, but we do it with effort, with firm intent. And then we're able to see and know the Dhamma. It's not difficult to do. Because we're sitting here already. We have our bodies and minds already. We're all sitting here. And so the mind gathers in peace and we're able to contemplate the body. And we can ask, well, if the mind is to a subtler state, can we just contemplate the mind and see the Dhamma in that way? And yes, that is possible if the Samadhi is to a high degree, that's not difficult. But if the Samadhi isn't enough, then we have to take a look at the body first. 
was one individual who thought he had a high level of samadhi. But the great teacher told him to contemplate the body first, not to be hard-headed. Because contemplating the body, it's a coarse object of contemplation. And lust and attachment for the body are coarse as well. So we have to contemplate the body. But we don't want our minds to be coarse. We want to have subtle minds. So we want to just contemplate the mind, or contemplate Dhamma. But we have to understand if this is beyond our ability, it's beyond our capacity. Contemplating the Dhamma is quite subtle. Contemplating cause and effect that the Buddha saw clearly. And awakened disciples that had a great degree of wisdom, they're able to contemplate and see this clearly, to see this in the mind. Like Venerable Subhadda, he saw clearly in his mind the purity of mind and the sad and low states of mind. And he's able to realize arahanship by seeing this clearly because his samadhi was full already. He had psychic powers as well. But for ourselves, if we just have neighborhood concentration, upajara samadhi, or apana samadhi, one-pointedness, we contemplate the body. That which we cling to is this body, which is a heap of not-self. We contemplate to see it as not-self, to see it clearly, to see the Dhamma. Because when we separate out the components of this body, earth, air, fire, and water, which we're able to do when we have samadhi, we see it all as not-self. There's no me or mine there to be found. We see that that which we take as a self is merely a pile of natural elements. When we separate it out, we see that lack of self clearly. We separate it out and there's no essence there. It's just water, liquid, earth and solidity, heat, air, some metal, some wood and so on. We actually see that everything in the world is composed of natural elements in this way. Separated out, it's all empty. So we contemplate in order to give rise to wisdom. We set our hearts on this to cultivate mindfulness and samadhi to the highest degree possible. So in these nine days we have practicing together it's possible that the wisdom to see clearly can arise in our own hearts. This is possible. When I was a lay person, like you all sitting here now, I was listening to the Dhamma one day, and the mind was very still. I was listening to the Dhamma of Venerable Ajahn Chah, the Dhamma about convention and liberation, Samuti and Vimuti. And the teaching was that all things in the world are convention, that in truth, they don't exist. For instance, size, the size of objects and so on, it's all empty. And my mind was able to get a feeling for that emptiness, to touch that emptiness. And a great miracle arose, something I hadn't seen before, that the mind had been lost in conventionality for a very long time already. And I saw that in truth, it's not there. It's all empty. 
I was able to see the world, everything in the world as lacking essence, lacking true substance. Everything that we seek in the world that we try to gain, there's no essence to it. There's no lasting core in any of it. We use the things in this world and in no long time, they degrade and pass away. Even these very bodies of ours uh, end up dead. And when we die, we don't take anything with us. The only thing we can take is the Dhamma, which we call a noble wealth. So may you put this into practice. May you do this. It's not sure that it is possible you can see the Dhamma in this nine day period. So may you grow in Dhamma, may you grow in blessings. <laughs>